I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So this week we have Sydney and she's going to share her recovery story. Hey, Sid, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, that's okay. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Sid and I have been working together for almost two years, around about two years, and we stopped working together consistently six months ago because Sid was doing, you were doing so well climbing your recovery ladder, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I started university and sort of since then I've been pretty good. So it's been great. That's so awesome. I'm, you know, I'm so excited to have you on the show because your, your recovery was just, it's just astounding and you were able to, you know, create a whole life for yourself, right, at university. Yeah. So why don't we start though and while, you know, just kind of asking like, what does BPD mean to you? BPD recovery. Yeah, so I guess recovery for me just means like living a life where day to day, um, you know, I have goals, I'm I'm not sort of disregulated and pessimistic and, and negative and in that dysregulation and needing other people for validation, like just having that independence to stand on my own two feet. And when I run into issues, I'm able to sort them out um, by myself and um, also reaching out support when, when I need it. But I feel confident to stand on my own two feet um, and just being able to do things I want to do, um, making decisions on what I like to do and knowing who I am because I didn't know who I was before and now I'm like, this is what I like, this is my passions and I have so many goals and I've done so many things now that I've been in recovery. I have hard days still but they're nowhere near as, as bad as they used to be and I know how to deal with them. I've got plans in place. Um, which I've practiced so it becomes easier each time to do them. That's so cool. So is your are your bad days BPD bad days? Are your bad days just yeah, let's explain that a little bit. Um my bad days are not BPD bad days. They're they're more like um my thoughts will start to go back to um you know around my partner I'll be like is he angry at me is he wanting to leave me and then in my head instead of going to him being like do you love me like is everything okay I just go in my head I'm like where is the evidence for that um and then I also look and I go what else is going on are my hormones um in track at the moment and I go oh I'm about to you know get my period so that that must be why um, or I feel like the more I don't want to go for a run or the more that I don't want to do some meditation or work, the more I need it as well is what I've found. Um, so that's been good as well. Oh, that's, yeah, absolutely. The more resistant I am to doing a thing means I need to do it more. I can relate to that. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, what a great way to describe that. So what is the label to you now? Do you still identify with the BPD label? It's a bit confusing. Like I don't like I, I would still sort of say I have BPD, but I'm in recovery. So I'm not yeah. in that dysregulation. But I would more say that only so that people would reach out if they're struggling for for help. Not not to be like I'm dysfunctional, I have BPD, 
Um, I think, you know, if I went back to the doctor today, I definitely wouldn't meet the criteria anymore because I feel like I'm not in that dis dysregulated state and um, I don't see that as my personality anymore. Um, and I don't sort of label myself as that. Yeah. So cool to, to, you know, you have that experience, I'm sure. And yeah, I mean, it's, if you don't acknowledge that you've ever had it, then you can't bring a story with, like yours with so much hope to, you know, people who could use that hope. Like, I'm sure this episode will help a lot of people, especially, you know, as you start talking about how you got your diagnosis and really like, how did all of this start for you? Uh, it would have been when I was around 13, 14 years of age when I was at school. And I don't know why there was no sort of moment where, you know, something happened where I was like, wow, I'm sad because of this event. I just started feeling really depressed and I started self-harming. And, um, you know, I went to the doctors, I went and saw so many psychologists and they saw, all said it was depression, anxiety. I was on seven different antidepressants, but I just kept seeming to get worse and worse no matter what what we did and I ended up in hospital a couple of times from having um, some suicide attempts as well and it wasn't till the second time I was sitting in the hospital bed and my best friend was next to me and a mental health, health nurse came up to me this would have been when I was 15 and he comes mm. up to me and he goes you're not depressed I'm like what do you mean? Like I'm in sitting in a hospital bed. What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Because um, he'd right. seen me and my best friend laughing together. Um, and he goes, look, it's all over your paperwork. No one's told you, but we think that you have borderline personality disorder. And I was like, you're no way. Like you're like, you know, I was in that denial. I was like, you're ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're talking about. After that yeah. day, we started sort of looking into it and finding um, psychologists and, and that sort of thing that sort of were more experienced in it. And the more I sort of looked into it, the more I was like, wow, that's me. Um, mm -hmm. And when I started getting um, work for it, I started to get better, um, which was good. Like that was the first time where I'd not been getting worse and I started to get a bit better um, and sort of, you know, the, the self-injury behaviour became less and um the hospital stays became less as well so that was sort of how that started but I wow, feel like way. Like, were you angry with that guy Just yeah to, you know, I apologize I was angry at the time but I mm -hmm. think it, it, that was the best thing that I he could have ever done because I think yeah. if I'd kept going on for years not knowing that then they would have just kept treating me for depression and anxiety which was not helpful um the medications almost made me worse so it was just um and every psychologist i saw just wasn't helpful and i'd just leave feeling angry and like no one understands me um mm -hmm. even my family they were trying different things but i just felt like no one understands me i'm so alone um and I just felt like an alien is the only way I can sort of describe it. Yeah, absolutely. And you didn't really know what was wrong with you. So that's such a good point to say yeah. that he, I mean, depression and anxiety is a little different than BPD. So when he tells that to you, it's almost like freeing because you finally have an answer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, at first I was like, because the label borderline personality is so stigmatizing I was like what's wrong with my personality like it felt like I was defective in a way as well 
So I think that's why I was also angry because I was like, what, you know, what's wrong with my personality? Like I thought I was a caring, loving person and it almost felt like an attack on my myself as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember that, you know, kind of experience too. I think I don't, you know, we don't talk about that enough that it it does feel that way because they're saying that your per, your whole self is disordered, your personality. So it's really hard to understand what that means. And it, immediately, I feel like when people get the diagnosis, they usually feel pretty alone, right? Alien is a good word. Yeah. And I think because like my behavior was sort of becoming like I was um, wanting validation from friends all the time and I was self-harming and that sort of thing people started to get a bit over it and sick of it because they didn't understand and so then I ended up lashing out at friends and um, sort of isolating myself even more just because mm-hmm. um, I felt like no one understood me so it was really really hard and um, I hadn't even through the hospital system Um, in Melbourne no one really seemed to know much about BPD or you know they looked at it and they didn't want to touch it with a long stick like they were like yeah they didn't want anything to do with it and you kind of felt a bit like what am I really that bad that no one can help me so um, yeah I think it was only because I had three more stays in a mental health facility and it was only when we met a family counsellor that ran a BPD program called Family Connections in Melbourne Um, and my family went, my mum went and did um, sessions with her to learn about it and she connected us with some um, help in Melbourne for for BPD but it's not like easy to access and a lot of people don't know about it like doctors if you have BPD they're not really sure what to do so it's it can be really difficult to find um, the right help in in Victoria and I'm sure in a lot of places it's the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. If it's, you know, I think here it's a little bit easier to find help, but the reaction is still the same. You know, I was just talking to somebody who was like asking for help for their wife and he shared this story that, you know, pretty similar story saying that the doctors diagnosed her with anxiety and depression and then told this individual that well actually we think that you know she has bpd but we we won't tell her so you should have her go to someone else to tell her and i'm like okay so that kind of thing happens a lot you know and then just makes people feel like wow that must be awful if you don't even really want to tell tell that person right and then you saying that the people in melbourne would like didn't want to even touch it with a stick that's really powerful too because you just said well i got this diagnosis i feel like an alien and so then the culture virtually reinforces that belief right yeah and i often feel like um like i i wonder if that nurse the mental health nurse that told me that day had had a family member with it or something like that because it's not normally their position to come and tell you that so for him to sort of look over my history and feel inclined to tell me that there must have been like I wonder if he had some sort of experience because he obviously like was passionate that that was important to tell me as well in Australia as well I don't know if it's the same over there but you can't get an official diagnosis till you're 18 so even though they were saying like we think this is what you've got they couldn't actually diagnose me with it till I was 18 as well which is a bit hard for people suffering because yeah. yeah, often it does start younger 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, they, I think um, that's more like leave that up to the clinician because the idea is if you give a teenager a diagnosis, then maybe they assume that identity, but it usually happens, you know, kind of regardless, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think regardless of that, you know, I might have found it on my own and been like, this is what I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know like when I first discovered it, all I wanted to do is like think about it, read about it, figure it out because, you know, it became, oh, well, I guess this is, I can identify with all of the people who are start struggling in this circle. So there aren't, I'm not yeah. as different as I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So how, what, what happens after you get your diagnosis? So I went um, and stayed in the mental health facility a few times over the years. Um, I saw different psychologists. Um, I, yeah, it was, it was kind of like I was at a stage where I wasn't sort of self-harming and not needing to go stay in mental health facilities, but I always felt like I was on the edge, like I could easily go back to that. And I also wasn't mm -hmm. happy. Like I just day to day, I felt negative. I felt like I couldn't make my own decisions about anything. I was so anxious to make, even like to buy a piece of clothing. I was like so anxious about everyone else's opinion. And um, like, I just couldn't make my own decisions and I didn't know what I liked and I didn't know what I wanted for my future. And it was causing a lot of issues with um, my long-term partner as well because I always felt like I needed other people's opinions for decisions about like our house or what I should be doing, what we should be doing. And I also was relying on him heavily for emotional support and validation. So if he was mm -hmm. sitting there tired or grumpy after work, I would go up and I'd be like, what's wrong? And, you know, are you mad at me? And eventually he got pretty sick of it because he's like I'm just tired and I just want to watch tv after work and um I think I like even like if he ate the rest of my chocolate I felt like that was a personal attack it wasn't just like you suck you ate my chocolate it was you've done this like and he's like you know I haven't done it on purpose to upset you it was just we had constant fighting because I constantly went to him for validation and wasn't giving him the space he needed and, and working on myself the way that um, I thought I was and he just sort yeah. of said to me said you're not happy you're really you're depressed and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about I was in denial and we'd had a big fight and he said look if you don't get help like I'm gonna have to leave like I love you so much but I can't I can't do this if you're gonna be like this forever it's really hard to deal with and that's when I found the podcast um, through, I think it was through a Facebook group, like a, there's like a BPD Pals Melbourne or something and someone posted it on there and I started listening. I'm like, whoa, this is really hard to hear. This is really tough love, but I think this is what I need because some of it I was like, oh, like especially about being um, the, the, instead of being like your favourite person, it was your favourite host. And I was like, wow, that's such a different way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And I always thought it was his fault and wasn't taking accountability for my play, like my part. So, yeah. and then after listening to your podcast, like I was just literally walking my dog and I probably, I think I just watched like mm -hmm. so many episodes in a row, like I listened to so many episodes <laughs> in a row. 
and I was like I really yeah. like I'm, I'm gonna reach out to Rose and and you know I'll try like the 15 minute appointment to see if we're the right match but then after listening more I'm like I don't need the 15 appointment I'm just gonna book in with her um and I feel like from the moment we started working together I like made the most change I'd made over the years in such a short amount of time so it was really really good what was the what do you think the catalyst was like what was it about the work that we did together that really helped you get it so something had to click right because at this point would you agree that even though I'm saying things in my way that you heard the things I've said multiple times in different like ways in the past another treatment or not not really yes and no but I think there was that <clears throat> you don't understand me, you don't know what you're talking about. But I think because you'd shared your experience and I was like, wow, that's so much like what mine was. I think I was more willing to listen and take on that advice because I'd felt so misunderstood and people were like, just do this, this and this. I'm like, but you don't understand how I'm feeling. So how can you tell me what to do? Like, it doesn't work. I've tried it, but you know, you'd try it for like one time when you're upset or two times and be like, it doesn't work. And I'd never yeah. done moral compass work before either. That was something that was really new and interesting. And it made me feel really uncomfortable at first. Like I just felt like it was all like, I don't know, like I was like, this is like, I don't know, I just felt really uncomfortable about it. Just, yeah, it was just out of my comfort zone, I think. And then mm -hmm. um, we made the, um, I made a poster, you got me to make a poster, which was, which is still up on my wall. And even people come over and they can see it. And it's got all of, um, like, it's got all of the goals that I wanted to do and all of my morals written on it. And it's interesting because some of the stuff that I put on that poster, like I'm studying to be a marine biology at uni at the moment. And I had a picture of snorkeling with turtles, but mm -hmm. at that age I wasn't 100% sure that I was going to do marine biology that was more that I just wanted to go diving more and then yeah. um there was a picture of a that. van yeah there's a picture of a van because I wanted to go traveling in a van but then my idea of um buying a van and renovating it came later after I'd actually put that mm -hmm. on the poster so that was really like a really good first step because I would look at that every morning with my coffee and I'd also read, um, we'd also written a story about who I wanted to be, who I was um, and who I was at that current time. So who I was at high school, who I was at that time and who I wanted to be in the future. And I'd read that every morning as well. So that kind of set me up for the day and um, had that accountability for myself and also gave me a bit of motivation and passion as well to be like this is what I want to do this is what I'm working towards not just for the relationship but also there was another like there were other reasons that I was doing it mm -hmm. yeah. yeah oh absolutely I mean you had a lot of like, even for your family I feel like to be a better like family member a better sister right just to be able to yeah. love people better. So you had a lot of motivations. I remember that that vision board now, it's like of the turtles and you saying that, and now you're in uni and you finished your first semester, right? Trimester, yeah. yeah. So I finished that now. Trimester, and like, I, like, I, 
Yeah, and I never did. Like I did in, in Melbourne, we call it VCAL in year 11 and 12. So it's kind of like a hands-on year 11 and 12. You don't actually do BCE or like you don't do a score. Um, so I, I, in year 10, I just couldn't concentrate at school. I was too, had too many mental health issues. So I never actually thought that I could go to university. I thought that was something that was sort of out of reach for me. So to sort of get in and get accepted and then do my trim first trimester and feel like I, you know, that I did well was a really big thing for me. So, yeah, I think the first thing that I did when we started doing our recovery work was um, I saw this boat a few doors down from where we lived and we live like near a boat ramp and I was like, I'm gonna the boat was just a mess like it's it's floorboards were all rotten it was it needed a new motor but I called the neighbor I'm like I'm gonna take this boat home and we're gonna renovate it so I dragged it home Dan came home and went what is this <laughs> and so we renovated that boat together and that was something that I would have never done before I would have been oh what if we can't renovate it then we'll have to get rid of it and you know what if he doesn't like it or I, I would just overthink things but in that moment yeah. I was like no I want to do this we'll take that home and then from there I was like I want to do marine biology which is it's four hours away so I drive up four hours every week up and back and stay there for the week for university and I thought that that was unattainable but it just feels like I've got so many like I can do whatever I want in life but I don't I'm not holding myself back and going what if this what if that and just sort of going yeah. for it and going oh I, I if I run into problems I can face them head on at that point instead of going what if and just sitting you know and not not actually living my life because I'm so anxious about the what ifs and what could happen as well Right. Stuck in that emotional space, right? Where you can't think of anything but problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about your relationship now? And then we'll talk what, you know, about what happened in between, of course. Yeah. So we've got a really good relationship now, especially because I'm going up to Warnable and I'm up there without him most of the week, every week. So I've built a lot of independence. I don't like if, if I'm starting to go back into the old patterns of worrying that he's going to leave me or worrying that he doesn't love me anymore, I can pick myself up on that and go, where's the evidence for that? What's he said? What's he done? Um, mm -hmm. Like yesterday I called him a couple of times and go, he hasn't responded to me. That's weird. Like maybe he's upset at me. And then he called back later and by that stage, I was like, I said to him, I'm like, oh, I'm just hormonal today. I, I was a bit worried because he hadn't called me back, but I know that that was, that's not true. And I've looked for the evidence and everything's fine. So don't worry about it. Um, and he's like, cool. And that was sort of it. Instead of saying, I'm feeling insecure, you, you need to fix that and reassure me. It was sort of more like yeah. I acknowledged that this is how I'm feeling instead of sort of keeping it to myself as well just to sort of get that out but it's not your responsibility and and I can deal with that so that's been good as well and yeah, oh, yeah that's a connecting experience right yeah. yeah and I also like I 
I do my own thing and instead of always trying to get him to do things with me, I'll go do things by myself or I won't be hanging out next to him on the couch. I, like I'll go into the bedroom instead where I always used to just feel like I had to be next to him. Um, now I go into the room and he'll follow me into the room sometimes to check up and see what I'm doing and he does more things for me. I think because he's happy in the relationship, he'll bring me coffee to bed, he'll make me dinner, he'll make the house nice and clean when I get back from Warrnambool. It's just a lot nicer and a lot more relaxed and we just don't really fight anymore and if we do it's it doesn't blow up and it's not get it doesn't get emotional and we sort it out pretty quickly. So it's it's really nice. It must be so different from, you know, day one where he was going to leave you and now, you know, he misses you and you're able to give him, well, you're able to give each other space and you guys are, you know, growing. You're going to uni, you're growing and he's growing, you know, while he's home, right, waiting for you. And then he's like setting up life, taking care of you. What a different dynamic from, you know, how, what it was two years ago. So what were some of the so moral compass, vision board, your vision board and your narratives were really, it sounds like, you know, pivotal in the beginning. And then what are some other things that you wanted to share that were like big aha moments and skills that you needed to use to get from where you're worried about you're losing your relationship and you're scared of doing, you know, a lot of things to you being outside of your comfort zone being able to understand when you're having an emotion and not attack anyone and having a good relationship. Awesome. Yeah. I think also like learning what my itches were and not sort of sitting there and building up. So if I felt really started to feel even the tiny bit of irritation at the start, I would have to go and just sprint on the treadmill no matter how much I didn't want to, like sometimes I would put my exercise clothes on and just stomp out like to the treadmill because I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, um, but then <laughs> as soon as I sprinted it and I, it wasn't just like running, like I had to sprint until I couldn't talk or think about why I was sad anymore. Um, so I'd set myself, like I'd say, I have to run for 10 minutes. And if I got to eight, nine minutes and I wasn't puffed out, I'd just turn the treadmill all the way up so that I would um, run really, really hard. And then once I'd gotten off the treadmill, I always felt heaps better and I was able to rethink yeah. what was going on in my head and, and go, oh, so it wasn't how I thought before. Like he's um, like with my partner, I was like, oh, he's just tired. That's why did I think that before that he was gonna leave me like that's that's really silly and I kind of laugh to myself and go like it, you just kind of notice how your brain almost that just the the pattern of thinking it almost plays tricks on you and and then you calm down and you're like wow how did I how was I thinking like that before it's just amazing just changing your state your body state can can really change the way that you think and and feel and yeah i think even yeah just that's when i would um, i'd need to calm down first before i could do the the mentalizing and, and the mind work like i couldn't just try and jump into the the mind work which i think is what i used to do i used to try and jump straight in and try and rationalize and look for the evidence when i was in that irritated state 
and then I would be like, none of this works. These skills don't work. It's all it's all crap. But then once you calm your body down first and then do the work, it's just it's really, really changes things massively. Oh, absolutely. Well, it leaves you so tired that you can think of other possibilities and be able to understand, like, why else would Dan do that, right? Yeah, and I think also just the endorphins that you get after running and as well, and that really helps. Or if I really felt like I couldn't run, I'd just jump in the shower and put the cold water on instead. Oh, yeah, the cold shower. I mean, one of the things I think that sped your recovery up is that when I told you to to re-regulate at the itch, you actually did it. And I, that's very important because a lot of times people have a hard time buying into that part. What made you do that? Like every time you had an itch, so it was quicker for you to learn how to regulate because you kept training your body right from the start. So why would you take that risk? Like, and what would you recommend for people who are, they really, yeah. I heard it in another podcast, I'm not sure which recovery story it was, but one of them was saying that choose your heart, I'm going to choose to sit in this emotion and I know that it's going to blow up and it's going to turn into a fight with Dan and I'm going to be really dysregulated or the discomfort of being on the treadmill for 10 minutes. So that was something that was sort of really really helped I kind of think in my head I was like choose your heart and it was really funny after that episode I went to an op shop and there was a running singlet that said choose your heart and I was like whoa so that kind of became my motto and the other thing I used to do yeah. when, when I actually got onto the treadmill um because it's easy to get onto the treadmill but to actually run properly is another thing because you can just go for a jog and get off and be like that didn't work yeah because I definitely did that a couple yeah. of times. I was like, that didn't work. But I would just keep pushing and I would just repeat in my head, you're not dying, you're not dying, you're not dying. And so that, because otherwise I'd be like, I can't keep running. Like I'm out of breath, there's no way. But I was, the fact that I was able to think that, I was like, no, you, you need to run harder to actually change the state of your body. So I would just be like, you're not dying, you're not dying. And I would, set the like I'd put it on sprint for the last minute so that I could see an yeah. end point but also push myself really hard I think also just getting your exercise clothes on is a good start even if you you don't think you're mm -hmm. going to do it once you get your exercise clothes on it kind of sort of sets you up or sometimes I would take a pre-workout not because I needed it but because it kind of was like I've had a pre-workout now I have to use it as well so I've done that too yes because at that point you're there's no going back when you have your workout clothes on and you have your pre-workout and you don't work out I mean it doesn't make a lot of sense at that point those are good those are really great strategies yeah choose your heart and, you know, you're just yeah. really, you were really motivated and you believed in, you know, the things that I was saying and you believed that it would work and it, it just does, you know, your, bo your body was able to acclimate pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think towards when Dan could see that I was actually getting better because he'd been with me for five or six years by that stage so it was kind of you know he'd seen it all me try different recovery things so I think he was at the stage of like I, I don't think he completely believed that I could change at that stage so it was a lot of it had to be from me but as he started to see me getting better some days if you could see I was irritated on the couch 
he would be like, do you think you should go for a run? And instead of being like, how dare you say that? Because I used to snap and be like, don't tell me what to do. You don't know what it's like. Like, go away. I was like, okay, (laughs) fine, you're right. So having that as well was really helpful. But that wasn't at the start. Like that, I had to build up that trust and that um, that belief with him as well. So I think that that very much helped. Also setting goals at the start of the day, like we set goals on behaviours, like um, like behaviours that I'd taken on, like pessimism. So I had to be positive for the day and that would be the one thing that I'd work on for that day. Uh, doing little things like that was really helpful. I think reading stuff in the morning really sets you up because you're like, this is what I'm going to work on today. Um, or I'd set up, the other thing I used to do was I used to listen to really sad negative music all the time and it would bring me back to that depressed state um so i think changing my music or listening to a podcast instead was really helpful as well in in my recovery because i do a lot of driving so you know it's easy to just put on the really depressing music and and get into that state because something I also really struggled with was intrusive thoughts. I'd just have horrible thoughts when I was driving about, you know, um, my whole family was going to die. And I was like, brain, why, why are you telling me this? Like, why, why is this, this coming in? And as I got better, the intrusive thoughts just sort of slowly went away. And when they, when they started, mm-hmm. when they come back, that's when I'm like, okay, I really need to start doing more work again. And, and, get back into exercising eating was a big thing as well like I was already eating reasonably healthy but I notice if I have mm-hmm. take away more than one day in a row I start to feel really irritable so I have to be careful with that and tracking like for the ladies out there like track your period because that's been a massive massive help for me knowing when my ovulation is because I never really thought that ovulation could be a time where my emotions would be really affected and it definitely was like every time I ovulate I can tell that my mood crashes and on my period as well so it's really helpful because I've got a little plan I'm like if I'm ovulating or on my period I need to exercise eat healthy ensure that I'm getting sleep even though I just want to go buy junk food I know that my I'm going to get really sad if I if I don't look after myself during those stages and just knowing that that's what, that, that it's just because of my hormones, there's nothing really horrible that's happened. Like it's just my hormones. So I can go, oh, it's just my hormones. Nothing's changed. It's yeah. Yeah. That was really good to acknowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, if you know it's your hormones, it doesn't necessarily make it better. It doesn't make it go away, right? You yeah. still have it, but at least there's an answer. And so you don't have to attack or ruin a relationship or, you know, exactly. self-destruct, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's like just knowing that that's that, it kind of gave me that reassurance that no, something isn't going south in my life. It's, it is just the hormones and I have a plan there for that. So I know what to do. It's not sort of, yeah, it's not the unknown and it's not as scary as it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. How about the moral compass work? How did you incorporate that into your recovery? 
I think when I wrote all of my morals down, some of them I realized I wasn't completely following. Like, um, mm -hmm. like I would be like, oh, um, like I would say like, oh, honesty is really important to me. But then I would say little white lies just to sort of protect myself because I felt like if I like just little white lies because I didn't um, want to get into conflict. So I mm -hmm. realized I'm like, hang on, that's going against morally who I am. Or, yeah, I think it just helped me like check my behaviors and see if they were actually following what I truly believed in. Because I think often you say, I'm empathetic, I'm compassionate, I'm honest, I'm, um, I think also the, the big one was um, just having accountability for yourself. That was a really big one. And mm -hmm. I feel like you say, yeah, I'm all of those things. But when you actually sit down and look at them, you're like, hang on, this behavior doesn't match that. And this behavior doesn't match that. And it kind of helps you to keep in check of um, who you really are. And it builds a lot of self-esteem and confidence following that as well. So I feel mm, like that's, yeah, that I was really helpful in finding who I was. So it provides like a roadmap for your personality, right? Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, it, it, just, it just really helped me understand who I was better because I remember just sitting there thinking, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I like or it, it was just really hard because everyone around me was like, you know, you, you have a relationship, you have a dog, like you're a vet nurse, but I just didn't feel like I had a personality. Like I just like who I was, I, I just didn't know. It was really hard. And I don't know how else to describe it, but I think anyone else who struggles with knowing who they are would understand what that feels like. It's, it's a really hard one to put to pinpoint. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I can't think of any one word that can describe that experience because, right, it's indescribable to people who don't experience identity disturbance. You know, I think that's where having a podcast where I could give us share my story and you can share your story. Like somebody is going out there is going to have had a similar story to yours, and they're going to get hope because. A lot of providers they can't they can't share that experience and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that but it's it's lonely to be someone who's told like we said earlier that your personality just is disordered yeah i mean you've come such a long way from you know where you were it's impressive to have from not knowing who you are not knowing what you want though a random picture of turtle or turtles oh my gosh snorkels <laughs> and snorkeling and turtles you know, all the way to you driving four hours away to uni, you know, studying marine biology, just have a great relationship. You rehabbed a boat, you converted a van. I mean, there's so many other things. So it's amazing. So what would you say to people who are in that position where they're supposed to regulate their emotions they've heard the episode about sprinting or running or being regulated they've heard all <laughs> the stuff i said about favorite host and still they're like it's not going to work for me this isn't going to help me i feel hopeless what would you say to them first and foremost i would say recovery is really really hard and i don't think you realize how hard it is till you're in it and 
you think mm -hmm. that um like I remember thinking oh but I've already I've already tried it's it's already been really hard I've already done the really hard work but then once I'd done this work I was like oh that's what everyone means by it's really hard I would say just just find find what works for you and just think about would you would you rather stay in in this in this pattern of just feeling dysregulated and and just feeling really crappy and like just not having a a, a good life i guess and and just think about that it is going to be really really hard but it's going to be worth it in the end and i think it's really hard to hear that because when you're in that you you feel like you know you're the only one that's feeling this way and and you're dysfunctional and you're unfixable but you are fixable and and you can do it and like i feel like so many people with bpd are starting to show how powerful and how passionate they are and and how strong they are and once you get through the other side to recovery you've got a lot of power like you're more passionate than a lot of other people that haven't been through it you're um, like I'm very very passionate about marine biology and and what I'm doing in life and other people sort of look at me and they go whoa you're really excited and passionate about it and once you reach that other side that's you know you will have advantages in life so even though you're suffering and struggling now you know it does have its advantages in the end too and you become a really strong person you become really resilient as well so other people that might not have been through the same traumas and the same hardships are probably going to struggle a, a little bit more later in life when they come when when they face their challenges but you've already been through a lot so when life throws you challenges you're going to be set up for life to deal with them as well so like i feel yeah. like even if something horrible happened now i'm like i've got this i can deal with this i've got the skills so i think also just if you get knocked back down and you try one thing once and it doesn't work just keep going with it just keep going with it and even if you don't believe it's going to work just keep going like try and prove rose wrong that that it doesn't work like give it six months and be like rose this doesn't work because i can guarantee you that it will if, if you stick at it for that long so even go from a side of i'm really stubborn and this is not going to work for me and i think that you'll find um that it will and and you will be able to thrive and and have a really great life yeah awesome that's such good advice yeah and prove you know prove both of us wrong at this point right you know yeah. if, if you do everything that you're that it, that we lay out and all of the things that i'm saying and it doesn't work okay but you really need that consistency to be able to get to the other side absolutely and to anyone out there who's you know in the position that sid was in of losing her relationship potentially what i would say to that is sid didn't know like you didn't know whether dan was going to stay you didn't know so she no. had to take that chance right yeah and i also got to the stage where i was like even if this relationship doesn't work i don't want to live like this i, I want to you know i want to be able to stand on my own two feet and the other thing with recovery i would say is i definitely got to stages where i was like oh i feel like i'm going backwards i feel like i'm going back to the way i was but that definitely comes in waves 
but you it gets less and less and you feel like you can handle it more and more the further you get into recovery so it's not like a straight road you don't just go from being sort of dysregulated all of a sudden to be able to handle life like it does go up and down quite a lot and I think having a recovery ladder to look back on to see your progress which is what I wrote out in my diary I can go wow I have come a long way or reading the stories that I read about who I was you can sort of go back and go in those moments where you feel like you've gone back to the way that you were you can read them and go actually no I haven't I'm, I'm just having a little slip up and and I'm definitely not the way that I used to be and and this is just you know a slip up and and I just need to do these things and get back on top of it and not losing hope and thinking that your world's sort of going back to the way it was it, it's just that it's just that down point in your recovery as well yeah, that's a great tip. It's, you know, reading your um, every morning, setting your intention for the day, looking at your vision board, reading your recovery story to remind yourself of where you've been and all the things you've been through. Those are brilliant because the number one thing I think that, you know, gets people through, even in your story, there's the same theme and it's you need to be really comfortable and very knowledgeable about what the actual truth of life is because the stories can take over so you have to constantly remind yourself that you know what the story the emotional story is telling you is not true right yeah exactly and i think the other thing to remember is just to try and um there's a lot of i know there's a lot of negative borderline personality groups online um just trying to stay away from them because they sort of all say you're going to be like this forever you know some people say that you grow out of it which is definitely not true because you need to do the work like you might grow out of the self-harm or you might grow out of some of the other things but until you do the work you know it, you're not gonna it's going to be really really hard for you and and just not listening to the people that say you can't recover and and that people with borderline personality disorder are bad just trying to keep in mind that there are people out there that have, have recovered and i think until i heard rose's podcast i didn't really believe that you could recover from bpd like i thought that you know i was going to be like this forever i remember doctors and psychologists telling me no, this is a lifelong thing like you might grow out of it a little bit and that was really depressing to hear because i was like well if i'm going to be like this forever what's the point but now that yeah. i'm in recovery i'm sort of like wow like i have so much so many things to look forward in life and life the life is like the world is my oyster and that you know just knowing that it is possible and and you're not going to be like this forever it's that was really really powerful for me because i really didn't believe that it was possible to have recovery the idea had never even like no one had ever said to me oh yeah if you do this work you, you can recover from um, a lot of the dysfunctional symptoms no one had really told me that it was just like oh you might grow out of it and you know i'd never really heard what recovery actually meant and and what it was like to be in recovery as well yeah Amazing. I mean, what a beautiful story of hope. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with listeners today? I think, I think just that 
you're not alone as well because I definitely felt alone during a lot of those times and I felt like I was the only one going through it and yeah I I just felt yeah a bit like an alien and and that you're not alone and reach out to, to other people um you know if you know just reach out to people that have had borderline that are in that recovery stage as well because I think it's really helpful to talk to them because you felt really you feel really understood um compared to speaking to someone else and I think that really makes a difference in recovery is having someone that really understands what what it's like or um to, to help you through so that you don't feel so alone as well yeah yeah absolutely it's that's amazing advice and you know i the, think the what i love about what you said about being passionate and intense and you're like you know what it's actually a pretty cool thing to be passionate and intense so you know your story is hopeful because it shows that it's not all bad to have an intense temperament to have an intense personality it doesn't mean it's the end of the road for you it means if you take that intensity and you're able to harness it then yeah you definitely have an advantage because you can be very intense with things that maybe you know other people wouldn't have that same level of passion right yeah it's a great story yeah you can definitely use it to your advantage so if you're um yeah i think i think it's really good for for building who you are as well just having that passion so yeah i think that's a really good thing to harness to start learning about who you are and trying different things and even just saying in your head oh i actually like that or i don't like that and even writing it down as well was was helpful and because i i just remember like dan and i even going out to going out to dinner I was like why am I doing this I'd actually rather be at home making a home-cooked meal and I, I just don't know why I didn't say that before just little things like that or um like I like going hiking and snorkeling and I don't know why I wasn't doing that more before when I that's actually what I really enjoy to do so and then trying other things like knitting and sewing and I was like I enjoy this but I you know i'm not going to do this again like it's not something i'm going to go out of my way to do and but actually sticking through and, and doing it and, and seeing if i like that as well <laughs> oh yeah that was i felt that way too about when i made that blanket i'm like well maybe you won't do this again but you're able to see all of the things that you know you could do i mean you can do anything you want to do right yeah and i think also for me connecting with nature was a massive um aid in my recovery so i'd go out on my walks with my dogs and instead of just going out for the walk with the dog i'd look at the trees and look at the colors and sometimes i'd pick up a leaf and, and tear it and like smell the eucalyptus at war i would uh, look for birds or i would touch the moss on the ground and just different sensory things would be really helpful so if i was feeling anxious instead of going on the walk and being stuck in my head I'd look at the trees or look at the water or like try and focus on my senses to to ground me a little bit too and it just gives you a bigger appreciation of you sort of part of something bigger than just yourself like just connecting with nature really helped me realize that you know it's it's not just me in my head like there's so much more to life as well and that that was definitely helpful as well yeah oh absolutely your recovery definitely honors the mind body 
spirit aspect, you know, going outside, looking up, taking care of your body and really being very comfortable in the truth and learning your emotional mind and when to turn it off and when to turn it on. Those are such huge, it's just amazing. Like your recovery progress was just so quick. And a lot of times people will ask me, well, how long does it take? And it takes as long as you let it take. If you're defiant towards it, you know, if you are resistant to it, if you only do it halfway, it takes a long time and it's, I think it's long enough. So definitely use some of uh, Sydney's story and just be inspired, right? Because it is inspiring. She went right into it, used her passion and intensity and tenacity. And I mean, definitely reaping the benefits, even talking about starting a family. So thank you so yeah. much for sharing your story. That's okay. And I think, yeah, the only other thing would be just being really kind to yourself. Because I remember when I like wouldn't, you know, I, you know, I didn't run like as hard as I needed to, or I, you know, I messed up and I didn't run and I had a meltdown during my recovery, just being kind and not going, oh, that was silly. You should have gone on the treadmill. Just being like, you know what, I've had a slip up. Next time's going to be better. I think that was really helpful because if you beat yourself up, then yeah, it's, you've, you've got to be really kind to yourself as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can't bully yourself through it because it's the whole process is a process of making mistakes and then getting back up again. Great advice. Well, yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing your story. Sid. That's all right. <laughs> So we'll hope, hopefully we can have you back on the show. I love to do, you know, so we had you now and then maybe, you know, a year next season, we can have you come back on and, and share your updates because I'm sure it's just going to be all awesome, right? I mean, obviously ups and downs, but there are a lot of, you know, huge leaps you've made in just two years. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So. yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I'd be excited to come on again and, and just see like, yeah, where what happens next. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, thanks for listening. That was From Borderline the Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So, if you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful, hope and help for individuals with BPD.